When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome. Happy hump day. Happy Wednesday. Happy day before Thursday. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock. I'm so honored that you're here with me today. Uh, I want to pass along some news. Uncle Jimmy is his chair is empty uh, again today. Uh, But I do think my guy is uh, making some progress and and feeling better. I'm expecting more good news later today or perhaps in the morning, and perhaps we'll have Uncle Jimmy back with us uh, by Monday, I would think, at the latest. If, you know, let's keep our fingers crossed. Let's keep Uncle Jimmy in prayer. Uh, You guys know a few weeks ago, uh, or hell, it's been five, six weeks ago, he contracted COVID and had a rough go of that for about three weeks, had the full recovery and felt good, and, and now, Something else is off. I would don't think it's COVID related, but uh, keep my guy, Uncle Jimmy, uh, in your prayers. Uh, and so I got to admit, I've been a little bit shook and off, shook and off this week uh, with, you know, just worried about Uncle Jimmy and particularly his two sons. Uh, Uncle Jimmy's oldest daughter is actually going to be here in Nashville today. That's going to give me some relief and comfort but uh anyway i have a treat in store for you today you guys know what a uh, big fan i am of delano squires and delano we call him the smartest man on the show because he is the smartest man on the show but i'm hoping we're about to discover a rival uh for delano uh, Leonidas Johnson, if, I don't know if you guys have followed him on social media, over Twitter, but uh, he does a podcast, Informed Descent. He's a speech-language pathologist. He's a hip-hop artist. He's an actor. He's a husband and a father. Uh, he's someone that I think, having followed his social media feed, having uh, uh, experimented or, or what it, taken a taste of, I don't know, of his podcast or whatever, I'm a little bit familiar with Leonidas, and I think he's going to be a rival for uh, Delano or or hopefully play in that same lane, be one of the smartest people. Up the IQ of this show from, you know, me and Uncle Jimmy are two dummies uh, from Kansas City, and so we'd like to bring in these outsiders. Leonidas, I believe, lives uh, in Ohio. But we're going to bring Leonidas in and go over some topics with him. I'm still on the uh, vaccine topic, and I know Leonidas is as well. I hope I haven't oversold you, Leonidas, because, you know, I I think of you as someone that was uh, a bit smarter than me. I graduated college with a 2.3 GPA. If you can't (laughs) jump over that hurdle, we're going to boot you off the show uh, quick, fast, (laughs) in a hurry. Uh, So anyway, 
Leonidas, uh, I, I've described you a little bit, but uh, tell our audience a little bit about yourself and what you've been doing. Yeah, you really hyped me up, man. Like the bar is set way up there comparing me to uh, Delano. My goodness, I have my work cut out for me today. <laughs> but yeah, like you said, I, I run the uh, Informed Dissent podcast, which is just a podcast that focuses on pushing back on the prevailing narratives that are happening in society, which we know that the mainstream media is not telling us the truth. 99.9% uh, .9 of the time, we're not getting the truth. So whatever the prevailing narrative is out there, I push back on that and whether we're talking about race or uh, you know gender politics uh, economics religion pretty much any hot hot button topic um, I'm, I'm tackling that and then speech therapy speech language pathology that's my day job I work out at a, a nursing home so I'm I'm right in the thick of the COVID stuff as well so yeah it's it's fun times man oh so that's where your passion about COVID comes from well, you, you're yeah. dealing with this every day. <laughs> yep, I'm in the, I'm, I'm right in the direct lines of it. Now, we've been doing much better at my nursing home. Uh, we had an outbreak uh, a couple weeks ago where we had uh, quite a few vaccinated patients end up getting COVID and we had to move them all to a isolation wing. And there were several staff members that tested positive and there was a whole big thing. But uh, now I think we're down to just one positive staff member and, and no patients. So, uh, so we're doing pretty solid right now. All right, before we unpack a few of these topics, I still want a bit more information because this is all important. One of the things that uh, I like to do on this show is, and this is why the show has such an affinity, affection for uh, Delano, is, is me and Jimmy will talk after the show and like, now we talk about living a, a kingdom driven life and Delano is actually doing it with his wife and kids and homeschooling and that's part of the thing that has drawn my interest of you is that you're actually living the life that I fantasize about living you're actually and so talk a little bit about your faith and your family and and where you live at and just what, what you're trying to do with your life yeah I live in uh, rural Ohio I've I grown I grew up here I've lived here my whole life uh, right on the border of Kentucky and West Virginia I go to a full gospel church in Huntington, West Virginia, which if you're familiar with Marshall University, uh, that's where that's where Marshall is. And I've been going there my whole life. And that's actually where I met my wife. We have four kids, uh, 10, nine, four and three. <laughs> Hard to keep track of their ages, man. But uh, yeah, and I, we're raising our kids to be uh, godly men and women. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because when I talk to people about this, it's, there's always a racial element to it. And they wonder how I'm raising my kids and what we teach them and how we, how we help them navigate uh, navigate the community, particularly living in a place where there's not a whole lot of black people. Uh, you know, I live in, it's probably like 99%, 99.9% white. I mean, there's not a lot of black people where I live. And, you know, I always tell them like, look, man, like I, I teach my kids that skin color and hair color and eye color, they're, they're, the, they're the same. They mean, they're, they mean nothing. They, they're part of who you are. 
I don't want to say they mean nothing. They're part of who you are. They're, they help make up who you are, but they don't define you. So we don't focus on the racial elements. We don't focus on any of the uh, racial identity issues. And, you know, I mean, we're just raising them to be godly, godly kids. And it's, it's been it's been great. So, uh, you know, as, as far as ambitions go, uh, you know, I, I like I said, I'm doing speech therapy and that's been a great career. Uh, I do the political stuff because I feel like I have to. <laughs> you know, I feel like I have to. Like the truth needs to get out there, and somebody needs to speak it. And you know, if it's the old age-old adage, if not me, then who? And so there's, I, I'm feeling this calling on my life to start stepping forward and, and and pushing into this arena to carry that torch and be that light shining on the hill and 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 show. Uh, show the world not, not only just the truth, but the, the truth through Christ. And yeah, that's been my, that's been my main focus. And uh, it's, been, it's been really good so far. All right, so speaking of guys that are standing on truth, I thought that uh, Orlando Magic, uh, power forward, Jonathan Isaac, just a 23-year-old kid, uh, yesterday, and I think we have the clip, correct me if I'm wrong, Chris or Corey, but I think we have the clip of how he spoke to the media uh, yesterday or the day before about the vaccine and why he has not taken the vaccine. Uh, and, and so, I'm sorry, I, th I thought we had the clip all teed up, but uh, anyway, I know you took notice, I saw over social media, you took notice of Jonathan Isaac and what he had to say. And so what are your thoughts on the NBA trying to force the vaccine on these young athletes and the way I, I thought, and we had the conversation yesterday, we've seen these athletes, particularly in the NBA and the NFL, at the forefront of alleged social justice issues, uh, and, and none of them, to me, have been as articulate, as well thought out as what we heard from Jonathan Isaac yesterday. What's your take, uh, Leon, Leonidas? I agree with that. Absolutely. hundred uh, percent. You know, it's really good to see somebody of that caliber, somebody that's in that arena that come out and be that uh, informed and articulate about it and push back against the prevailing narrative and say, listen, uh, it's this is about liberty. It's not that people are against vaccines. I think that's what gets conflated. Uh, way too often, you know, when people come out against the mandates and say, like, look, people should make their own decisions about about these things and come to their own risk assessments. Uh, people say, oh, you're anti-vax, but that's not the case, you know. And for the vast majority of people, people they're not anti-vax. They're not against vaccines. Most most of these people are are vaccinated, but it's just this particular vaccine that's surrounded with politics, that's been surrounded with disingenuous information and, uh, you know, a lot of unknowns that we that we're still figuring out day to day and changing science. And, you know, this idea that people should be forced to take it, that they should, and, you know, there's all these unknown side effects that could happen. And, and like Justin said, uh, uh, that he's not really at risk given his age or, you know, his physical fitness level. I thought he said it very, very well. Um, and that, you know, it's not that he's, you know, discouraging people from taking the vaccine. He's just making his own assessment and he thinks people, other people should do that. And that's really the crux of the matter that everybody should look at their own situation, 
you know, what, how old are you? What's your health situation? Uh, you know, do you have pre-existing conditions, comorbidities? You know, what's your risk? And then make that decision for yourself. That's the basic argument of what's happening here. And that's really the foundation of our country. Uh, people should be able to do what they feel like they, what is best for themselves, uh, as long as they're not violating somebody else's rights. And that's really the, really the bottom line. I mean, you hit on one of the things that has bothered me the most about this discussion and, and, and how Jonathan Isaac, Kyrie Irving, uh, Bradley Beal, they're all being framed as anti-vax. Mm -hmm. and, and yesterday I tried to make this point like, hey man, just because I prefer R&B music doesn't mean I'm anti-country. It just right. means that for me, R&B is a better fit, and it makes sense for me. I'm not anti-country uh, music. And so yeah. I look at, I've said this a million times on this show, the vaccine is for 50-plus-year-old fat guys like me. It's not for 23-year-old NBA superstars. It's just not, yeah. they're not... They're not anti-vax, they're just like, ah, that ain't really me. I'm not into that, I'm not putting that into my body. It, it, it's, it's not really providing me the protection that it would a Jason Whitlock. And this is what is driving me crazy, these people that want to force it on everybody. And I think most of it, Leonidas, comes down to simply, I did it, I took this risk, and so I think you should be forced to do it and take this risk as well. Because if it was simply about your individual protection and the vax was so great, you wouldn't be worried about Jonathan Isaac or Bradley Bill because you're vaccinated, you're safe, but it really just comes down to, well, I stepped out here on faith and this whole issue that has been politicize it. And so if, if the vaccinated and, and the what they uh, they're calling branch Covidians, and that's a great name, <laughs> this cult of COVID, if they really wanted to fix the issue and to have everyone get vaccinated, they would be putting pressure on politicians to quit making everything political. Yeah, if absolutely. everything wasn't political, we would all have more faith in this vaccine. Am I right or wrong? 100%. I mean, from the very beginning, uh, as soon as politics got involved, the skepticism shot through the roof. Uh, it started with masks. You know, they, when they came out and said, no, oh, no, you can't wear masks because uh, masks don't work. And then a week later, like, oh, yeah, you have to wear masks because masks are the most effective way to stop the virus. So and we found out they were lying. It's been like that the, the entire time. There hasn't been any honesty. There hasn't been any transparency. Uh, you know, it's been constantly changing. And a lot of times when I have discussions with people about this, they'll say, well, well, that's the way science works. Science changes. Like, uh, okay, yeah, science, cha science changed. Well, the science doesn't change. Our understanding of science changes, right? Like we, we have discoveries and we, we understand things better than we did before. And that makes sense to me. That's, that's a rational kind of approach to this, but that's not the way that the CDC has approached this. That's not the way that Fauci has approached this. They've been issuing uh, the, 
it's information as if it's incontrovertible truth and things that can't be challenged. You know, it's and it's been sanctimoniously put out by the government and by, like I said, by Fauci and by the by the CDC that you have to listen to what we're saying and you have to go along with this narrative uh, today because this is exactly what it is and you can't question it only to find out a few days later that, oh, well, the, the science changed. <laughs> and everything that we said was was actually wrong. And all the conspiracy theorists, the people that we kicked off of social media for spreading disinformation, they were actually correct. And it's been like that over and over and over again. So it shouldn't be any surprise that people are skeptical about this. I mean, the, once you involve politics, things are out the window. And that's, that's the big issue here is that it's been politicized. And there's, there's there's no real way to figure out what the truth actually is because the, the well has been poisoned at this point. And I was just talking to somebody yesterday about how they're classifying uh, vaccinated versus unvaccinated people in the hospitals now. Like if you've had your first shot uh, or you've had your second shot within two weeks, then they're classifying you as unvaccinated in the hospital. So you, you get vaccinated and then something happens, uh, you know, you have, uh, you start having heart problems or you, you have a stroke or blood clots, which are all documented side effects of the vaccine. And then you go to the hospital for this and you, they're classifying you as an unvaccinated case, or you have a breakthrough case, you get COVID, you're unvaccinated because it hasn't been, they say it hasn't been long enough. So the numbers that they're putting out are, are just disingenuous and, and it's not it's, it's not accurate. So and again, I'm not saying that uh, people shouldn't take the vaccine or they shouldn't make their own risk assessment. It's not it's not that it's not that you're pushing against the vaccine. It's that there's too much disinformation. There's too much politicization politicization around it that uh, you know, to say that people should be forced to take it is just, it's irresponsible and it's completely unethical. I'm gonna tell you the worst thing that the media has done, and again, this is where I say the branch COVIDians, the COVID cult, if they really wanted everyone to take the vaccine, they would be stomping their feet and stomping their fist on desk saying, the media has to quit blaming this on Trump supporters because yeah. The Trump supporters are sitting back going, well, hold on a minute. The highest rate of people unvaccinated are black people black in people, America. Yep. Black people vote 90% Democratic. How are we, Trump supporters, carrying the burden of, oh, we're the ones not taking the vaccine and we're the reason the country's falling apart over this COVID deal? It's so dishonest, it so ignores the facts this isn't some <coughs> hyper-partisan, oh, well, Trump supporters won't get the vax. Trump came up with the vaccine. Trump took the <laughs> vaccine. It, it's, yeah. it's, it's just like people that want to be in control of their own destiny and in control of what they put in their bodies, and, and they don't want something, some experimental deal that's been rushed through all the processes. <laughs> I told people early on, I'm not anti-vax. I think the vax for me is in 2022. After I let everybody figure out what's going on and what's really going on with this deal, 
I'm going to be more comfortable with the vaccine in 22 than I am in 21. I'm just sorry. And, and, and I don't think that makes me crazy. I'm certain I've never voted. So, you know, to frame me as a Trump supporter, they can, I guess, because I don't hate Trump. And anybody that doesn't hate Trump is a Trump supporter in this new definition. But the facts are black people, hardcore Democrats, are the people not getting the vaccination. And, And every time the media opens its mouth and tells another lie about who is and isn't getting vaccinated and who the worst people on the planet are, it just makes people like me more skeptical. And I'm sure Jonathan Isaac, and I'm, if I was a young person, looking at this craziness, like this isn't a health crisis, this is a political crisis. And do I wanna jump feet first into some political crisis? Let me, <clears throat> I, like, I love to make this analogy, uh, Leonidas, and I'm, I'm going on spec because of your age. I'm assuming you've, you've seen the television show Game of Thrones? Yeah. Oh, yeah, you've seen, seen, you've seen yeah. Game of Thrones? Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, yeah. and the, the, reason I, the reason I love Game of Thrones, because that's where I think this is the time we're living in. Game of Thrones, to me, was a television show about what men and women will do for power, mm-hmm. and they'll do anything. Stannis Baratheon burned his young daughter at a stake trying to get the throne. And so, like, if a man will burn his daughter at a stake, and I know it's just a TV show, but to me, it was a show about human beings, and particularly godless human beings, Mm. in pursuit of power. When, When power is your religion, power is your drug, there is nothing they won't do. And I look at Game of Thrones, and everyone thinks it's some little fantasy show about dragons and... Uh, you know, oversized giants and all this other stuff, and white walkers. I'm like, no, man, it's just a show telling you, like, human beings in a fight for power are capable of the most wicked, dastardly things you will ever see in your life, and that's what I think I'm looking at right now. All throughout history, it's been the case. And I try to explain that to people. Uh, while Game of Thrones is fiction, it does do a good job at highlighting, highlighting human nature. And like I said, all throughout history, it's been the case, whether you know, all, over the word, all over the world, whether you're looking at the Soviet Union, you're looking at Mao's China, you're looking at Nazi Germany, uh, and, you know, you're looking at Rwanda. I mean, every, everywhere, this, is, this has been the case. Uh, and it's the case here. And, you know, people think that they can't happen, those things can't happen here, that we're somehow too enlightened or, you know, like there's, there's this arrogance that, you know, they, they, these things, these things that happen in these other countries or these things that have happened throughout history, they could never happen in America because, you know, we're, we're better than them somehow. But uh, yeah, what they need to understand, and I've made this point many times, is that the evil that is committed in the name of power and control uh, is almost always done in the name of righteousness. You know, people always think that they are morally superior and that they're morally infallible and that the behavior is necessary. The ends justify the means uh, in order to achieve some righteous goal. And you call them the branch Covidians, which I, I like that because there is a lot, a lot of religious fervor to it. You know, uh, there's a lot of uh, dogmatic reasoning coming down from these high priests of, uh, you know, scientific fact that you can't 
you can't challenge. And then you have your inquisitors that go out to search for the heretics the, to, to punish them for blasphemy. And it's all done in the name of righteousness. So, yeah, it's it, it's been human nature. It's been the case forever and it's going to continue to be in the case. I, I did a podcast just a couple episodes ago on this. And, you know, it's just I don't know if you've ever read it, that there's this book called Ordinary Men by Christopher Browning. And it, it it's about these ordinary middle-aged Germans, uh, they think they were from Hamburg, Germany, and they were conscripted into a police battalion during World War II. Uh, they, they weren't overtly political. They weren't extremist. You know, they weren't, they, they, they didn't have no affinity for the Nazi party or anything. They didn't really hate Jews. Uh, you know, any, you know, they weren't extremist people. They weren't crazy. They weren't psycho. They weren't psycho. But they were conscripted into this police battalion. They ended up killing 39,000 Jews and sending another 44,000 off to death camps. And after you read that book, uh, you talk about getting a slap in the face about human nature. That, that book will do it because you realize that those people are you. It's me. You and I, everybody, you know, we we want to separate ourselves from these people, from these historical figures and say that couldn't be us. But it is. We all have that. Um, we, we all have that proclivity for evil and we have to be aware of it because we have to keep it in check. Um, so the minute you have that moral superiority and then you're starting to force people to do things that you think is righteous and moral and you know things that in that will make them potentially suffer uh then we're you know, there i think it's time for some serious introspection I, I i this thing you said about we're better than them i've been make having this argument for the past couple of months telling people uh particularly now that you know all of american history is evil and we should be ashamed mm -hmm. of all of it and the founding fathers are a disgrace and those people, you know, 150 years ago, they had slaves. They're, they're the worst people on the planet. And we're so much better than them. And so I started asking people, particularly people of any faith, that, that think this way. I'm like, you know, I wonder how God is going to judge our legalization of abortion. Abortion. Will, will he, <laughs> with, with crushing little babies in the womb and sucking them out with a, a sweeper or a vacuum cleaner or whatever, I wonder if God's, well, you know, uh, well, at least you didn't have slavery. Uh, or I wonder if he's going to be like, you know, slavery is bad, but, you know, this sucking babies out of a wound and crushing them, that's bad, too. And so, again, it's like we think we're so much better than Thomas Jefferson and George Washington. And, all, and I, I'm just not so sure. We're, we're yeah. all, again, and that's, there's a humility that comes from understanding, like, we're all sinners. We're all mm -hmm. capable of doing, if I had been living back then, who knows what I would have been doing back then because who knows what I'm co-signing for right now as I live today. And so <clears throat> I, I, I wanna pivot a little bit because don't, you don't have to respond. I wanna pivot to, you've been in a little bit of a battle uh, with Bernice King, uh, one of Dr. King's uh, daughters. Uh, <laughs> Dr. King's kids, uh, you know, they're, they're like a lot of, uh, a lot of people that get handed over the family business uh, from their parents and they run it into the ground. Uh, I, I think there's a little of that 
one with uh, Dr. King's kids. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate. Uh, Bernice actually blocked me on Twitter, so I I, I believe that means this the spat is over. <laughs> like, we we are no longer <laughs> we are no longer able to interact on Twitter, what which I'm I'm okay with. So I mean, she so she she posted this tweet that uh, said that her father would not promote a colorblind society, that he was all about justice. And I responded with like anybody that has animosity toward a colorblind society, it exposes themselves as a race hustler. They, because it's, you know the person that Booker T. Washington was talking about when he said there's a certain class of people who wanna keep the troubles of the Negro race uh, in front of the public, uh, partly because they want sympathy and partly because they want uh, to get paid. And they don't want the patient to get well because they don't want to lose their jobs. And that was my point with that, that anybody, because the colorblind society, that's what Martin Luther King's whole message was during the I Have a Dream speech. So, I mean, he was talking about Bernice specifically. <laughs> you know, him and her and his other children, he was talking about them that they would grow up and they wouldn't be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. That's what, that's who he was talking about. But he was broad, more broadly, he was talking about everybody. Uh, so, but to come and say that that was, that's not the right interpretation of what he was saying, uh, there's got to be a different motive uh, in, in what I normally, what I normally criticize about that is it seems like they want to perpetuate the issues. They don't want to solve it. They want to perpetuate it. They want to keep it going because their idea, we, we know how the, the radical left operates. They're always changing definitions of words, right? And their idea of justice is not what the uh, what we would consider to be justice. It's more of a, an idea of vengeance and you know punishing people based on historical sins, uh, sins of their ancestors or sins of uh, people who lived a long time ago who just look like them, who just had share their same skin color, and then carrying that um, past grievance into the present and and punishing people for that. And they call that justice. And that's not justice at all. It's, it's not justice at all. And that's really the problem with critical race theory in its, in its essence, that this viewing the world through a lens of race is the opposite of what Dr. King wanted to do. And it's hard to imagine that his children would not understand that. But uh, they, they cling, well, I'll tell you this, Jason, they, they, they seem to cling to the more radical ideas because Ma Martin Luther King was not perfect. Like he had a lot of uh, more radical ideas in, in regards to like socialism, uh, UBI and things like that. And so like he had a lot, of, he, he did believe a lot of things that I disagree with. But when it comes to race, for whatever reason, uh, his his kids and then you know a, a lot of other black people who use him as a radical figure, uh, you know, just completely just lose the plot and think that it's it's about this, this idea of uh, like I said, vengeful justice instead of moving into a post-racial society where skin color just doesn't matter at all. And you know that's been my I, I, my focus. I think that. I think that <clears throat> like anybody that inherits a business, and so let's say in 1987, I inherit a blockbuster yeah. uh, video business. I don't ever want VHS tapes or DVDs to go out of style. I, I, sure. I need that. I, I don't want everything to go to streaming. And so 
Dr. King's kids inherited his business and his business dealt with the issue of race. They don't want the issue of race to go away because they become like Blockbuster and they go away and they have to pivot and start up a new business or address new issues. And so again, race is their business and racial injustice is their business. And, And that's why we see so much ginned up racial issues in in terms of like Dr. King and his generation were addressing actual laws on the books. Right. Things that prohibited black people from experiencing American freedom. Mm -hmm. We've now turned the whole racial justice thing into addressing feelings. Have your feelings been hurt? Do you feel offended? Was that a cold word? Bob, all these things (laughs) that, again, don't really have any power or they only have the power that you give it. You can decide, and because I have made the decision, like, oh, if somebody calls me out of my name, I'm not offended. I'm actually looking at them like, wow, you're an idiot. You don't know my name is Jason? Uh, Everybody knows my name is Jason. I've even told you my name is Jason. You can call me whatever you want, but I'm just not offended. And so I I take all the power out of that. But we've built a society based on feelings and it allows an endless supply of fighting racism. Because if it's all just we got to run around and protect people's feelings and, and make sure that every human being in America that you know, from Derek Chauvin to whomever, whatever white cop they can identify, he represents all of America. And there's gonna be an endless supply of that because there's an endless supply of idiots anywhere you go on the planet. There's, in any place you have freedom, I always try to explain this to people, the key word is dumb, D-U-M-B, free dumb. In order to be free, you have to allow a lot of dumb or there is no freedom. And so, there's always gonna be dumb. And if, if we're gonna define everything dumb as, oh, my God, I can't, I can hardly make it in this society. Uh, someone has said something offensive to me. And, and, and if, if we don't put that person in jail, I just saw a good sermon on this this weekend. A buddy of mine sent it to, I think it's called Traders Point Church in, in Indianapolis, sent me the sermon there, where, where the, the minister was, was just talking about we don't know the difference between, and I was, today I do this show called Harmony, so when, I'm, when, when I get you off the air, Leonidas, these two ministers are gonna come on, and I'm gonna bring it up to them. But the minister this past week just talked about, uh, we need to know the difference between harmful, harmful offense and, I wrote it down, so conscientious conviction, I'm screwing it up. I'll have it for the next segment. But bottom line, the minister was making the point that if we outlaw offense, if we have to tiptoe around everything, what you're basically outlawing is truth. Because Mm -hmm. the truth sometimes will offend you or make you uncomfortable. And if we build a society based off of, oh, you can't offend anybody. You can't say anything to make anybody uncomfortable. You could get in trouble for that. We must cancel you for making someone uncomfortable or making them feel uh, inadequate for a moment. What's your basic, throw out the gospel because you can't preach it. 
You can't yeah. preach the Old Testament, New Testament. You can't tell the truth to anybody because, oh, my God, someone's feelings make it hurt. And it's just like if somebody, if Corey walked up or screamed off camera right now, Jason, you're fat. I, I'm telling you, I wouldn't melt. I'd be like, hey, the guy's telling me the truth. He doesn't want me to eat that Snickers bar that's sitting here waiting for me. That's all. He's just telling me a truth, a helpful truth. I'm not offended by that. He's actually showing some concern for me. But if I were to see Lizzo somewhere in a bikini, a thong or whatever, say, hey, baby girl, you too fat for that. Oh, my God, you've offended her. And you can't say that. I'm just telling her the truth. You can't wear a bikini, Lizzo. You see me walking around in a, in a speedo at the at the beach? I don't do it. <laughs> I think it was I think it was Jordan <laughs> Peterson that said, "No, you're on it, man. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. Uh, I mean, like, if you talk to enough people, you're going to offend somebody somewhere. Like it's impossible. It's impossible. Well, if you tell not them the truth, authentic. Yeah, it's imp- it's it's not possible to uh, go through life without offending somebody. And yeah, and, and who cares? Like it, being offended, it means nothing. It's it's meaningless. It doesn't mean you're right. It has nothing to do with, like you said, like Leonidas. You, you might be offended with Leonidas. But let me just ask you this: Are, are you offended? Yeah. I have better hair than you. I mean, that's obvious <laughs> and it's true. Are you offended by that, or is it just a statement of fact? It's both. I'm, I'm offended now. I, I'm, I'm done with the interview. <laughs> <laughs> hey, before we go, I want to ask you uh, about the thing that you're most noted for, and it's what caught my attention a couple years ago. Uh, you put out a list of young people killed basically by gang violence, street violence, gun violence. Yeah. And it's, it's a laundry list of black kids. I think you started, it was just people 18 years and younger, but you couldn't keep pace. And so you had to actually lower the age. Uh, but just, I mean, again, we sit around police scanners waiting for a white cop uh, to kill somebody, a resisting criminal. Uh, but no one cares when black children are slaughtered virtually every weekend, uh, but you seem to care and keep trying to draw attention to it. Ex- explain th- the list that you publish over social media. Yeah. Y- you've, you've kept going. So last year, uh, over July 4th weekend, there were like four or five kids that were shot in, uh, in just Chicago that were killed. And I was blown away by it because, uh, you know, we, we don't hear about that sort of thing too often. I mean, you hear about it every once in a while and you know, it kind of, you knew it was kind of happening, but you didn't really look into it. So I started researching to see how many kids have been killed throughout the year. And it just blew. It was it was awful. It was awful. It ended up by the end of the year, it ended up being like 78 kids on the list. And that's just a partial list. That's not even all the kids. I knew I missed. I missed a lot because the FBI UCR report came out. Uh, for for 2020, and it has 606 kids under the age of 13 that were that were uh, murdered last year, 
And you know, some of that includes like murder suicides and uh, domestic issues, but I, a, a large percentage of it is is street violence. Kids playing in their yards and getting shot. Kids uh, in in their beds asleep. Babies in strollers. I mean, it's just you're you're reading through some of these stories and you're reading comments from the family members and things like that, and it's just it just rips your heart out, man. It's just then the big thing about it is that the national media doesn't touch it that the national media doesn't talk about it i think there was like 13 unarmed black people killed last year and that's what we focus on uh whereas you know multiple times more children are killed in street violence every year than unarmed black people killed by police and we're talking about people that you know are fighting with police you know most of those uh, most of those shootings are justified uh and you know there's no focus on kids and so this year there's been at least 55 that have been killed so far and and again i i i know i'm missing a lot and I try to get as many as I can people send them to me I try to track some news stories um, but it's it, it's just awful what's happening and and like I said it's even more awful that it's not being covered and it's not being talked about because this is the real crisis that is happening uh, you know kids can't even go out play in your yard safely in these communities and you know nobody's really talking about it Leonidas great job Appreciate having you on. We're going to have you back tomorrow. Uh, I'm going to tell you one more uncomfortable truth. Uh, despite, you know, having, I, I think we'd all have to agree, he's got a weight advantage over me. He's got to be 100 pounds lighter than me. <laughs> he should really be ashamed of himself that I look this much better than him despite carrying oh, the extra weight. It's... <laughs> <laughs> These uncomfortable truths that we get into. Don't laugh, Leonidas. Your wife's going to tell you the same thing when this show's over. Uh, but uh, <laughs> thank you so much uh, for joining us. And I got to start talking about my good friends over at Good Ranchers. You want to know why I look so good? Because I eat the best beef meat in America. Good Ranchers is truly incredible. Their food is coming from 100% American farms. Their farm-raised chicken and grass-fed cattle will provide a better tasting option than anything you can get from your local grocery store. I I'm telling you guys, I crack a lot of jokes, but you guys know what I've been doing ever since Uncle Jimmy got COVID. I've doubled down on my diet. I'm only eating great food, clean food, food that's 100% American farm-raised, like Good Ranchers, is helping me lose weight. You can still eat good and lose weight. That's what I've been learning and implementing, and it's helped me a tremendous amount over the past uh, over the past month. Good Ranchers has been one of my best friends. It's high quality standard of food that stands up to those expensive mail order companies, and you can have all of their delicious food which comes individually wrapped and seasoned, delivered straight to your door. Pick from any of their options like their Ranchers Classic or their Family Feast Bundle to give you and everyone in your family the absolute best meal possible. But stop listening to me and go order them right now. If you subscribe, you'll get $20 off and free express shipping. Get steakhouse quality for less than $5 per meal. Go to GoodRanchers.com fearless to get $20 off and free express shipping. That's GoodRanchers.com slash fearless. All right, welcome back. 
Time for a little Tennessee harmony. Uh, time to bring in pastors Bobby Harrington and Anthony Walker from Renew.org. Uh, uh, I'm not sure what, I thought we had decided guys that all we needed was Anthony after the last two weeks. Wasn't that the discussion? And Bobby just snuck back in here. Uh, what can I say? Uh, <laughs> things went so well. So Bobby, there's a lot of pressure on you. Don't get in Anthony's way. Uh, <laughs> On a more serious note, uh, I do want you guys to start us off with a prayer and include our guy, Uncle Jimmy, in it. I think he's doing better, uh, and hopefully we'll get some more good news the rest of the week. Sounds good. I'll start. You finish? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so, God, what a great thing that we can be here with Jason. And, God, I just thank you so much for Jimmy and what he contributes to this show and we do pray and ask you to completely heal him and bring him back. Father, again, we thank you for the opportunity to be here and to promote harmony uh, as we find it in your word. Uh, Father, again, praying for Uncle Jimmy. Be with him. Be with his body. You made it and you best know how to heal him. And we thank you for your power. In Christ Jesus name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So, guys, uh, this week. Uh, got a little controversial topic for you. Will and Jada Smith. Uh, Will Smith, the actor who big fan of and, you know, love the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, what that represented. Love Will's music as a hip hop artist. Kept it clean, mm -hmm. made great music, family. Everybody could listen to Will Smith's music. Mm -hmm. And so now to see him in his 50s uh, and, and he did an interview with GQ where he talked about uh, that he and Jada don't practice monogamy. And, and one of the first thoughts that came to my mind, and I, you know, I, I want to tell celebrities like Will Smith and just others, is uh, John Thompson, the great college basketball coach, had this philosophy that he had a public life, a personal life, and a private life. And he's like, my private life is my private life. It's no one else's business. Mm -hmm. and, and it's like, that philosophy must be so old school because we now live in an era where people's private lives are actually content for TV shows and the building of their celebrity and everything must be shared with everybody. And, and it almost seems like you can't get any attention. If, if, if Will Smith wanted to share with GQ, man, me and Jada, we've been monogamous with each other for 25 years and it's the most beautiful thing and here's how it's helped our children. No one would publish that. But if you say, you know, I had fantasies about having a harem of women, including Holly Berry, and we haven't practiced monogamy and we kind of do what we want. It gets all kinds of promotion. And so I, I just, I wanted to have a conversation with you guys, just an explanation, because I think a lot of people, and I used to be in this camp uh, for a long time, like, hey, we got condoms, you got birth control. There's no penalty for promiscuity. I would tend to think you guys have a different narrative on that. Mm -hmm. And so why perhaps is what Will sharing is wrong and why does God ask us to not be promiscuous? 
Anthony and I were talking about this on the way up, so I'm going to let him go first. Uh, I just want to have this conversation like Will was watching, because he has uh, so many redeeming qualities about the guy, like you said. And I personally really like him. He's one of my favorites. But it's so sad. I read that interview, and it's so sad. Uh, it's sad because he talks about you know, having to work through his Christian upbringing so that he's free now. And it's tragic. Anyway, Anthony, jump in, brother. You know, uh, I want to pick back off of what you said that Coach Thompson said about public and, and private and personal. What you find now in today's culture is that things that ought to be private are now made public. And things that should be public, like your faith, are pushed back into the private realm. So we've gotten that all twisted up. Wow, I didn't think about that. <laughs> certainly, certainly. So as you pointed out, not just having a good private life or a good marriage that has been, you know, had longevity, now we have to deal into things that are outside of the bounds of marriage. And what I personally see from it, not just with Will, you know, you had uh, here recently, there was the show about the guy who had sister wives, you know, it was, I think his name is Cody Brown. There's this idea that we just do with marriage what we want. And biblically speaking, just to be very simple, God established two entities or two institutions that are powerful in his creation. First institution God established is marriage. The second most powerful one like unto it is the church. And Paul in Ephesians 5 relates both of them together when he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. At the end of that, he says, I'm also talking about the church. So when the enemy attacks marriage, attacks the church, it's an affront to God. So we, we have to take it serious. And so this whole idea with doing with marriage, you know, what you want. I, I looked at, I'll give a couple of them and let Bobby go, but I looked at some of the things that Will said about it. And it doesn't seem like this is happy. He says one of his quotes in that article, we have given each other trust and freedom with the belief that everybody has to find their own way. And marriage for us can't be a prison. And I don't suggest our road for anybody. I don't suggest this road for anybody. Why are you still on the road if you don't suggest it? Like, why would you keep pushing that if this is something that causes if you relate it to a prison? The only thing that I know about prison and I remember this growing up, prison is a place I don't want to be. So if you describe your marriage as a prison or we can't make it like a prison, then this is something that you really didn't want. It doesn't sound like they're really happy about it. I think this is something that they are enduring, but it's not how God designed us. Mm. Well, this is a big topic. So <laughs> let's, let's, you want this to be uh, Tennessee Harmony, where <laughs> Harmony is built around uh, the roots of our nation. We just want to say that again, that uh, the best of the nation was built around a Judeo-Christian foundation. And so let's, let's just talk about that, because Will is explicitly saying that he had to work through his Christian upbringing. Like, he's got to reject that and free himself from that, so that now he practices polyamory. His daughter 
uh, met with uh, you know his wife on the red table discussions they have, and she talked about, yeah, my thing is polyamory. I think that you know being with several people at the same time, that's that's kind of the way to go. And here's the thing that I thought of, Jason. I thought of uh, back before God revealed Himself to Moses, when the Israelites were in Egypt, He gave a list of all the the sexual sins that people naturally gravitate to without God's direction. Mm -hmm. And so this list includes uh, having sex with your mother, having sex with your sister, having sex with multiple people at the same time, having sex with animals, and all of this stuff. And I just wanted to say, okay, if you're freeing yourself from the restraints of Judo-Christian heritage, where's it going to end up? Because uh, when we look at where it's going to end up, it doesn't end up in a very good place. Yeah. I want to first ask Anthony, then I want you to follow up on this question, Bobby. Anthony, you said marriage sounds like something they're enduring. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure both of you as ministers have counseled a lot of couples 10, 15, 20, 25 years into mm -hmm. a marriage. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And maybe you've heard them say that in terms of just trying to struggle to get to the finish line and marriage, you know, because people always say, man, marriage is hard. It's blah, 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 blah. And so what do you say to people that feel like they're just enduring? A what are they doing wrong? What, what can they do to course correct? If you were advising mm -hmm. Will and Jada Smith on how can we turn this from an endurance thing into something that brings you joy and happiness, what advice would you give them? So when God talks about marriage, he relates it a lot of times to the unity that he has with the Holy Spirit and Jesus, that kind of unity. The, the fact that you have three God in one, okay? And even when two people are married, he says the two become one flesh. So that process for us, it, it is some sacrifice of me, it's some sacrifice on the wife, et cetera. There are some issues that we have to work through because, you know, you take that couple that you say they're 30 years old when they get married. You've had 30 years to develop individually and now you have to come together in one accord. I'm not against the fact that marriage has some ups, some downs, some difficulties, some personalities that has to work through. Where I point to and, and what I would listen to, you, you mentioned as a counselor, when people have diametrically opposed values, I would be the first to let them know as a marriage counselor, as a man of God, hey, guys, this might not be for you. Will mentions in that article with GQ, he says Jada was never one for a monogamous relationship or, or traditional marriage. But you married her. So you're going into marriage knowing our values are different. What works with marriages and what, what I look for as a marriage counselor, I look at your relationship with God. Now, some people look at personal compatibility, et cetera. I know what God can do with compatibility. But if your relationship with God and your Christian values are diametrically opposed, that marriage won't go anywhere. And, and what they did, when you hear Will talk about it, he had another quote where he says that this is the most grueling, excruciating, like this is not how marriage is supposed to work. It shouldn't be, picture. right? It, it shouldn't be so painful 
if you guys agree on value, my wife and I, we have had, you know, disagreements from time to time. We've had to work things out, et cetera, as the, any marriage would. But our values are the same and our unity is not around my personality or her personality or her wants. Our unity is based on God. So even in our most heated discussion, we come together on the truth about, okay, now what does God want about this? So I would encourage those couples that are going through tough times, et cetera. If we can't sit down with God, who we proclaimed our love in front of and covenant with before God and all these people, if we can't come together with God and agree on what he says, your marriage is on the rocks before it even gets started. Bobby, it almost sounds like Anthony's saying they should go their own separate ways. Do ministers actually counsel people to, to go? So I'm not, I'm not one to, because God has a, a position on divorce. He, he, he doesn't like that. I'm speaking as a premarital counselor. No, I know. Oh, right, right. Yeah. So even, even in that, if I'm talking with a couple that, that comes to me and, well, he has this, he has that, I'm going to let them know when we sit down, we're going to see what God has to say about this. And now you must respond with your marriage. How are we going to align, not with my idea, but what God has to say. If we can't come to unity on what God has to say, we're not going to make it work ultimately. So my, my here's the thing on marriage. Uh, when you look at what the Bible says about marriage, it begins with presuppositions that we have to have in place that Will Smith obviously doesn't have in place. The first thing is that uh, I am to act in my marriage toward my wife the way God acted toward me in Jesus. Mm -hmm. God loved me so much, he sent Jesus who gave up his life and died for me. And then God says, when I'm in my marriage, whether it's me loving my wife or my wife loving me, the highest attribute of a true Christian is to love like Jesus. Yes. And the most important place where you love like Jesus is in your own marriage. So a lot of people look at marriage as primarily about happiness. Scripture teaches us that it's first about holiness. Yes, yes. It's about being the kind of person toward your spouse that God wants you to be. And so, you know, it's really clear to me that Will is not operating on a biblical assumption about any of this. He doesn't know about it. And so the Christian marriage concept is I am going to love my wife the way Jesus loved me, and I'm not going to give up on her. I'm not going to take that back if something's better for me to go a different way. That's not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is for me to lay down my life for my wife and to stick with my marriage. And most marriages that I know uh, have been through periods where it was really difficult. And you battled with the selfishness in your spouse, the selfishness in, your, in yourself. But the ring made the difference because the ring is a commitment made to represents a commitment made to God where I, through uh, sickness and in health, in prosperity and adversity, I will love my wife and my wife will love me. And I want to tell you something. That's a way better happiness in the long run. I will be married 42 years this, this uh, December. And I just got to say, you know, I'm sure Will's had exploits I can't imagine. Uh, but he doesn't have the security, the stability, 
the sense that, hey, our relationship uh, as husband and wife is a God-honoring thing, and uh, we're preparing by our character to be the kind of people that really are like Jesus in marriage. That's the highest goal. Do you hear what he's saying? Like, in order for a man to know how to love his wife, he must first understand how Jesus loves the church. He's got to be in relationship with God to understand that principle. Wives, in order to understand how to function in marriage, you've got to be a woman rather has to be in relationship with God before that. It, it, it comes together through our relationship with God. And as he's pointing out, what you pull from in the hard times and even in the great times is that relationship that you both share with what God wants. Yeah. He talks about how selfishness is. If I come into it with, Will makes this comment, I make myself happy, you make yourself happy. When it's all about what I want and what she wants and nobody's discussing, wait, what God wants. God wants some self-sacrifice. God wants some, hey, you know what? I want what's best for you and I want what is best for our marriage in the kingdom. And lastly, I'll point this out too. Even when I'm counseling and even when I'm performing wedding ceremonies, I make sure to let them know your marriage is a ministry that teaches the world about God and his people. That's right. It, it, it teaches. So when people see 42 years, when people see 12, 13, going on 13 years, when they see that happening and they say, man, I, I know, you know, Anthony can be kind of difficult or I know, you know, his wife, I know how they, but man, they work together in unity. That teaches them about God. And it teaches everybody watching. There's this great passage in the book of Ephesians and he's talking about uh, husbands and wives in marriage and he says, I'm not talking about husbands and wives. I'm talking about Christ in the church. Yes. Because yes. the metaphor of how God loves us yes. in the church, the metaphor of that is a husband loving his wife and a wife loving his husband and that we reflect God's love for us, by the way, we love each other. So it's a beautiful, uh, beautiful thing that if you don't have that foundation, it's like, how can we even talk about this? So there will be people watching that like just need a layman's understanding or a plain spoken understanding of some people are watching going, well, you know, look, if that's what makes Jada and Will happy having outside relationships and by that what makes their marriage successful again what are the penalties what what yeah when you're advising people what are you what are the penalties for okay so let's you, you know we talked in your last segment or you were talking about you know the most if you really love somebody you want to tell them the truth right you don't want to tell them like what makes them feel good in the moment you want their ultimate best interests are you ready yeah so let's talk about what scripture does say about sexual immorality now, what God describes for marriage is beautiful, okay? But it's really easy to think, well, I just want that outside of marriage. So are you ready? Let me read some scriptures to you. Yep. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. Uh, before we started, you and I were talking about put your helmet on. Yeah. Like uh, Aaron Brockett putting his helmet on. Yeah. Okay, I got my helmet on, but uh, it's because we love people. We love you, and we want to speak the truth as ambassadors of the gospel of Jesus. So here's the truth. 
Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, so sexual immorality is any sex, except that between a husband and wife. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. The Bible says if you choose to live that lifestyle, it will exclude you from the kingdom of God. Let me go on with another one, Jason, and then you can react. Ephesians 5, verses 5 and 6. Notice the clarity of these words. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, talking about sexual immorality, no immoral, impure, or greedy person. Such a person is an idolater. Like if you live for greed, you're an, you make money an idol. Uh, no such person has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Then he says this, like, because... People back then, like people today, we want to reestablish our own rules. So he says, let no one deceive you with empty words. Because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Hmm. Case in point. Is that, is that uh, helpful <laughs> layman's words for you? It is. But, but here's what I think some people will hear is like, mm. that's after I'm dead. I, you know, I won't inherit the kingdom, blah, 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 blah. And, and what I think I'm hearing from Anthony and yourself a little bit is that, like, no, there's penalties, right? Will Smith is not happy. He's not doing what he really wants to do. He's had to, well, I got to throw away all that stuff that was put in me by my yeah. parents and grandparents and at the church. And, and you know, Jada is the one that kind of really talked me into this. We didn't see, I, and so he's actually not happy with all this promiscuous sex. And, and, and I, I would think that's something y'all explained in counseling. I, I don't, I, listen, if you listen to them, when, okay, they, they talk about giving each other trust and freedom in their marriage. This is Will and Jada. And one of the most prominent things that came forth recently was her relationship or entanglement with August Alsina, an, an artist who was one of her son's friends, by the way. That, yeah. So you remember when all that came out? When she describes what that was. Now, this is the path that you all have decided for yourself. And this was August claims that, you know, they gave their freedom or blessing or whatever for this. Listen to how Jada describes that. She says, I was in a lot of pain and I was really broken. Will Smith, I read this quote a little earlier. Our marriage was the most difficult, grueling, excruciating thing we've ever taken on in our lives. That doesn't sound happy. So when you talk about what are the consequences, you're eroding away at yourself personally when you don't allow your, yourself to live by the values that we're made for, those values that God has instilled in us. You're eroding away and you're putting forth. The, the other thing I'll say, the other thing that he says is, you know, they're, they're just never quitters. If you keep trying to put a square into a circle peg, just the fact that you don't quit 
<laughs> doesn't make it fit anymore. It goes against what God designed us. So I don't I don't believe it at all. I don't think that they're happy. I think that they tell themselves that that's happiness. You know, I have lots of friends, though, who there, there's this expression in the Bible, uh, enjoy the pleasures of sin for for a period. Uh, I know people who've been happy for a long time, sleeping with lots of different people or, you know, enjoying uh, sexual relationships. What we have to realize is that it, it, you can go for a period where it, it seems great, okay? And uh, what we teach from Scripture seems like killjoy. God's a cosmic killjoy. Here's what most people don't do. They don't take the long-term view and the broad view. Here's what I mean. Over the long haul, as Anthony's describing it, that can't be a, a good marriage. If I'm thinking that my wife is having sex with different people, I'm just telling you 99% of men, long term, we're not going to be happy with that. Like, you can't tell me that people are going to feel good about that. Um, but let's take an even longer term view. And I think we have a slide on this. And I just wanted to share, when we, like if you look at all the problems that are caused by people being sexually immoral, okay? You just look at what's happening in our society, and does God care about the long-term consequences for people of sexual immorality? And the reality is he does, and so what he teaches is gonna be the best for the most people over the long haul. So let me uh, share something with you. Sean McDowell recently summarized it, uh, like what would the world look like if everybody honored what scripture teaches about sexuality, that the only sexual relationship is a husband and wife in the context of marriage. So what, what happens to a world in which everybody followed that or the majority followed that? Let's go with everybody right now. There'd be no sexual exploitation, no sex trafficking, no sexual abuse, no victims of pornography. A lot of people don't realize the biggest victims of pornography, in addition to the people watching pornography, the harm it does to them, how about the people who make their living, many of them as sex slaves, creating pornography? There'd be no AIDS, chlamydia, herpes, HPV, or syphilis. There'd be no rape, no unwanted pregnancies, no crude or degrading sexual humor, no need for abortion. Uh, no, no pain from divorce, no deadbeat dads, no prostitution, no men who leave their wives for younger women and divorce them, no need for a Me Too campaign. Every child would have a mother and father and experience the love and acceptance each parent uniquely provides. Now tell me, is that not a better world? Is that not the kind of world that a good God would want for us as his children? No question about that. <laughs> and certainly, you know, I think last week or maybe the week before, I can't remember, we actually talked about or I can't remember if it was with Anthony or it was just uh, in the show. But, yeah, the promiscuous sex deal has mm -hmm. created all the baby mama, baby daddy, grandmama's raising kids. Mm -hmm. It's just mm -hmm. the disconnect from the parents. And, and it's why we have so much chaos from our young people. They're disconnected from their primary power sources, their parents, two parents in the home. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and so they're not getting the kind of energy they need in their developmental years. And so that is certainly one of the major consequences of 
this promiscuous society that we, we've promoted and, and just, but, but Anthony, I'm gonna tell you what, you've given me a great column. <laughs> uh, what should be public has been made private, mm -hmm. faith mm -hmm. being the primary thing. Mm -hmm. You you blew my mind with that. Yeah, one. That good. is original, right? That, yes. just yes. Yeah, that, that is. <laughs> that is. I, I'm definitely. Before I let you guys go, I want to ask you, and I don't know. Do we have the clip of the governor from New York? That I, I mentioned that, uh, but I, I know I shared it with you guys. Mm -hmm. And so, if we don't have the clip, but the governor of New York uh, gave this speech about uh, uh, the vaccine. Yeah, I saw it said that basically she wants you to be her apostles and go out and promote the vaccine. And she made these very religious Christian analogies. And literally when I saw it, I didn't really, I don't know what to think. And I was like, and so I wanna, is what she did, is that biblically sound? Uh, here's what she did, just because I, I uh, saw the clip that you're talking about. First of all, she tried to uh, play off of people who believe in Jesus. Now, her own posture with the policies she supports, there's no way she's following scripture, just in terms of her other leftist social policies. Uh, but so she's playing off of like Jesus, and maybe she personally, you know, has arranged in her own mind a relationship with Jesus on her terms, but she uh, referred to Jesus and then said, I wanna make all of you my apostles to get everybody vaccinated. And uh, the problem with what she said, in my opinion, and in the posture of many people on the left, is they are not respecting the consciences of really good people who have uh, conscientious reasons where they feel very strongly, morally, that they shouldn't get the vaccine. Some mothers are not sure about it for their pregnancies uh, and this kind of thing. And one of the things we know in scripture, and the Bible teaches it in Romans 14, is on these controversial things where you can't say scripture says exactly this, we have to allow each other the freedom to have a conscientious objection. And my problem with what she did is she leaves no room for that. You're a bad person if you don't agree. And that's going beyond scripture and the teachings of Jesus in my understanding for her to do that. I, I, it struck me that same way in terms of like, wow, this is a politician using Jesus to promote a vaccine that, you know, and part of me believes, and I've been very clear on this. I think the vaccine is for people like me, overweight, 50 some odd years, blah, blah, blah. But I'm uncomfortable telling 22 year olds in perfect health, some of these athletes, I'm uncomfortable telling a woman who's never had a child, inject this vaccine into your body. Cause I'm just sorry, we just don't know. We, it hasn't been out here long enough to know what it's gonna do to her reproductive ability. I actually have a very specific case. My daughter-in-law, I wouldn't wanna impose my views. You know, she just recently gave birth to uh, a grandson for us. I wouldn't wanna impose my beliefs on her. Like that's, you're going beyond what we actually know for sure to force people like that to get a vaccine. I get very careful with politicians using 
a scripture or using an analogy biblically absent of its context. And so when you take something out of context like that, just to put forth your you can make God say whatever you want him to say at that point. And, and that was my like, no, you know, I, I get what she's trying to do. And even as Bobby said, even for the perspective that she may personally share, I understand where you're trying to go there, but don't make God say what you want. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that's my issue there. Yeah, I, I think I agree with that, because that would be like me saying, you know what, because some people have invited me to dinner. Uh, tonight, and it's home cooked food and all that stuff. Like you know, God really wants them to make meatloaf. Well, I don't know that. That's what I want. <laughs> God probably wants them to make tofu for me. Well, okay. <laughs> Some green vegetables. Yeah. Gentlemen, thank you so much as always. Uh, appreciate the conversation. I hope some people learn some things. I love to be able to take things right from pop culture, get a biblical perspective because I, I you know, people are interested in Will Smith and Jada Smith. Mm -hmm. and they don't. And we love them too. I wanted to say that, you know, yeah. I have no personal animus towards Will, Jada, fans of him, like you said, fans of his movies, fans of his music, no personal animus, but that piece just makes me gave sad out. because yeah. when you see this play, you're going to see this play out in his life and in his children's life, they're already talking about, and then the influence, that's the sad part. Mm -hmm. Given what God says, it's just sad for Will, and I'm really... All right, well, that's it, and that's all for us today. We'll be back tomorrow, and hopefully with some more good news about Uncle Jimmy. Have a good rest of your Wednesday. Time feeling all kinds of free. These words are our religion, our regrets, and our decisions.